there are children out there right now who even as we're talking, you know, it's nighttime somewhere and there are children out there who need us to find them. And that once off once a year, that makes a significant difference on one life. That child gets to live a whole life. It's not just that you've rescued them today, but you rescue them every day because they continue to live. Welcome to the Inspired to Thrive podcast. I'm your host, Phoebe Lay, and in each episode, I will be sharing with you insights from either an inspiring person or myself to help you thrive and shine online and in person. We talk about all things marketing, relationships, money, business, growth, mindset, and more. So thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to seeing you inspired to thrive. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Inspired to Thrive podcast. We have a very, very unique episode today, one that is a topic that is quite close to my heart. And the reason that I started in business probably about six or seven years ago now all comes back down to this issue that we're going to discuss today, which is the issue of modern day slavery and human trafficking across the globe. Now, for those that have heard episode one of the podcast back when it was called the Conscious Business Podcast, they would know my story of how I left a career as a radiographer to go traveling and go into national. And my parents told me that if I was to go overseas, I needed to watch this movie, Taken. And I remember my parents telling me about human trafficking and I was sitting there in disbelief thinking that this cannot be possible. It sounds horrific. And when I started to discover and dive into the research and the information that was out there, I discovered that every 30 seconds, someone becomes a victim of modern day slavery. And only 1% of victims that get taken or exploited are ever rescued. And so this has been an issue that has been very close to my heart ever since I discovered it that day. And I started a brand to give back to charity and that's how I have now come across Destiny Rescue and I'm very, very grateful that today we have a very special guest and a lovely friend of mine now, Catelyn Healy, who is a passionate advocate of humanitarian work and humanitarian aid and has been ever since she was a little girl. And after September 11, like many of our generation, she was greatly moved to know more about Afghanistan. And so the little 12-year-old girl was recommended a book by her English teacher called Paravana by Deborah Ellis. And she says that this book changed her life. It exposed her to the plight, fortitude and resilience of children surviving the worst situations imaginable. Catelyn says it was inevitable from that moment that she would end up where she is now and she's been working in humanitarian aid for almost seven years and has joined the team at Destiny Rescue and has been there for two years now and more. Catelyn now travels around Victoria speaking publicly to raise awareness and funds for children survivors of human sex trafficking and we have her here on the show today. Catelyn, welcome. Thanks, Phoebe. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you in the studio. I'm so glad we finally get to have this conversation. And what's been going on in, in Destiny Rescue is is so powerful and profound. And I'd love you to share with us who are Destiny Rescue and what do you guys do? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, th- yeah, Phoebe, thank you so much for having me and, and giving us this chance to talk about this really important issue of, of sexual exploitation of children being trafficked. So Destiny Rescue has existed for just, we just had our 21st birthday last year and we actually started a gentleman by the name of Tony Kerwin is our founder. He was on holiday in the Philippines and he overheard a conversation between two Westerners discussing the purchase of a child and what they were planning on doing to her. Now, he's not got a police background himself or any military or anything like that, but he's just a real man of action. And he he shares that he left the venue and just felt this need to go back and get that child that they were referring to. So he did. And that was how we started 22 years ago. And and since then, we've rescued over 12,000 children. And we actually have a hope to rescue 100,000 by 2032. So we've been doing this a long time. And we're in 12 different countries now. And yeah, so it's, it's amazing work that Destiny Rescue does, rescuing these kids. And I'm just really honoured to get the chance to talk about and educate people about this issue that really people don't know a lot about it. You know, after meeting yourself and hearing your story about why you're passionate about this issue, I was really touched because I, I am aware that so few Australians actually are even aware that it is an issue. And it's actually the fastest growing illegal activity in the world. It's second only to drugs. And everyone knows about that. But yeah, so. Well, you know, we were just discussing before this meeting that, or before this interview, that 73% of human trafficking happens literally in Asia Pacific, our backyard. And it's hardly ever spoken about. It's something that is very, very uncomfortable to talk about. And People still have a lot of questions. You know, even when we first met, I had a lot of questions and I've been aware of this situation for almost a decade now and I have questions all the time and there's obviously a big gap. So I'd like to start off with asking you the difference between human trafficking, modern day slavery and child exploitation. Absolutely. Well, I think it would probably surprise your listeners to hear that there are more slaves, human people who are owned on the planet today than in the height of slavery in the US and in the UK combined. That means that there are more slaves now than at any time in recorded history. And a large amount of these slaves are children. These are children. And 99% of those children are girls and they're for the purpose of sexual exploitation. So at the moment across the world, there are children everywhere that are available for purchase for this really horrific industry. And it is, as I said, it's, it's the fastest growing legal activity in the world. It's massive and it's happening everywhere. And as you said, 73% of all children who are trafficked for this purpose are in Asia Pacific, which, you know, I'm really passionate about because that's Australia's backyard. That's our area of influence. And it's where we go on holiday. It's also where we have businesses or run trade or anything like that, you know, and I think that we have a responsibility as Australians not to turn away from it, but actually take that responsibility and make a change. And, and that's what Destiny Rescue does. And those who support Destiny Rescue's work as well, they take up, up that responsibility to help these kids. Yeah. Wow. And what is the difference between sexual exploitation in, for example, a region like Asia and what you see in a region like Africa and South America. You know, I know that modern day slavery and and sex trafficking and human trafficking 
looks very different in different yeah. regions. That's and right. for example, in Afghanistan, mm. you know, it's it's a whole different issue to what's going on in Africa. So maybe if we started with the difference between Asia and, and Africa. Absolutely. Well, as you know, Phoebe, I've spent quite a bit of time in East Africa myself, traveling with another organization. And so I have a real personal affection for that part of the world. But I have traveled to Asia a little bit recently with Destiny Rescue as well. So I have those two different comparisons and firsthand at least. And what I know to be true and what I've experienced firsthand is that there are very many different reasons. It's really hard to pinpoint one single reason why a child becomes exploited or available for trade in that manner. But generally, and this is very general, in a country in Asia, it's more common that a child would be coerced or tricked into the industry. For example, in a country like Thailand, where I've just been, I did meet a little girl who was available for purchase in a small karaoke bar in the north of the country. And from what we learned was that once she was underage, she was about 12 or 13 years old. And also that she'd actually come across the border from, I believe, Myanmar, which is former Burma. And she was just simply looking for work. She was very young. Her parents were not able to financially support her. And she was under the impression that if she went to the closest city inside Thailand, there would be a lot of employment opportunities. And what happened in her case, and this is really common in Asia, is that someone had come to the village already and said to young girls around her age from about 11, 10, 11 to about 16, and, and they'd said, look, if you come to the city with us, we have waitressing jobs, we have dishwashing jobs, and we'll get you some. And so the first couple kids that went over with them did. They went over and they were waitressing. They were washing dishes and they were sending money back to their families and their siblings were able to go to school because of that and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, they proved themselves as trustworthy. And then from then on, every time they went to that village, the children would never be heard from again. And that wasn't the case. The money wasn't coming in. And, and this is happening again and again across villages, across every part of Asia. If you think about the isolation of these villages. Some of them, you know, are, are mountain ranges. It's hard to get there. It's hard to, things like phone reception, these things that we as Australians completely take for granted, internet access, these ways to communicate are limited or vulnerable. And so people exploit that and they get the, and they are, get access to children. And in this case for this girl, her name was Bo, that was her story. Because what was really interesting when we were in Thailand, she didn't speak very good Thai. It's because she doesn't, that's not her first language. And that's, that's sort of how we started to, to work out her story. But it was very obvious that she was a child that we're able to rescue her after that, a couple of days after I was there, which was good. But as, to your question about the difference between Asia and Africa, so that's a very general example in Asia. But in Africa, I'm sure you're probably aware, and if your listeners are passionate about humanitarian aid and, and supporting poverty, they're probably aware that in East Africa there is now declared a famine once again. The last time they declared a famine was back in the 1990s when you and I were doing the 40-hour famine and that sort of thing. Mm. And, and so we were aware of it. It was happening again. It's happened again. And so as a result of that, there are quite a number of child-led households. That means that either the parents have abandoned them or they've died as a result of famine. And I think what we, again, as Australians don't really have a perception of is like the desperation of a parent simply not eating and giving their food to their children to give them at least a few more days or a few more weeks of life. 
And then the, the oldest child who's left behind is, is anywhere between 10 to 16 years old. When I was in Africa, I would travel into the villages and I would see, and I'm not exaggerating, I'd see four-year-olds herding goats with a two-year-old strapped to their back. And it was so wow. strange to see little children taking care of little children, but it's just culturally normal. It's, it's, not, it's not unusual. So when a parent dies and a 14-year-old girl is living in the slum with her two siblings that are under the age of five, uh, she has to feed them. Now, the same thing that her mother was dealing with, which is the screaming in hunger children, she now has that burden. And in a slum in a part of Kenya or Uganda, a lot of the girls, a lot of the teenagers are finding themselves in this situation. So it's becoming socially normal to sell your body in order to feed your, your siblings. And so when a parent does die in the slum, one of your girlfriends from school that you used to go to school with will, will knock on your door and be like, hey, I can help you. I've got an answer. This is what I do. This is how we survive. And they'll do it. But another really important difference between these two regions is how much a child will make to do that. So a child in Asia may make a few dollars, enough to send back to the family perhaps. There's a lot of shame as well in Asia, so they'll be sending money back, but they won't be telling their parents what they're doing. Whereas in parts of Africa, they'll be lucky to make 25 cents per customer and they can earn an extra 25 cents to do it without protection. And as you know, again as well, there's an issue of HIV and AIDS in in Africa still. And so in order to, and they're aware of it, they're aware that they need to use protection because, you know, we've, they know how to take care of their bodies. But the reality is that 25 cents is the cost of one meal in Africa. Very, very small meal, but a meal nonetheless. So they're making 50 cents per time and that feeds two siblings. So we're having girls come in with full-blown AIDS and they are, it's petrifying because they just need to feed themselves. And like you mentioned, they're they're being recommended by people, their peer, people that they know saying, well, that's how I survived when it happened to me. So here's a solution. Mm. And all they can do is just, it's kind of like when you're taking advice from a friend, right? Yeah, you, that's you're, right. you're you trust. Yeah, yeah. You're in extreme desperation and and that's the only way they can survive. That's right. Another thing, though, something that our CEO, Paul Murgard, actually mentioned to me once, which really stuck with me, is that when imagining Africa, we all have these, these images in our head because of what we've seen on, on social media and in, and in the media in the last 20 years. But something to maybe give a bit of perspective is it it's like the equivalent of Australia in the 1950s. So in the 1950s in Australia, if a child was told by their parents, if an adult or anyone in authority tells you to do something, you do it. You don't question it, you do it. And that is exactly the same in parts of East Africa especially. And so children will do what they're told, regardless of how inappropriate it is as well. And so there's this aspect of not as much autonomy of yourself as a child uh, mm. in that region. So, yeah, it's it's like thinking about what it was like here in the 50s. Yeah. Mm. No, it's so sad. I'd love to know... Catelyn, from yourself, like you, you've been working at Destiny Rescue now for over two years. You've seen some stuff. You've been to Asia. Mm. What is a story of whether it's a girl or a child or a rescue? Because Destiny Rescue, for those that don't know, they specialise in going out there and doing rescue work yeah. and 
recovering people literally from places where they are trapped, where they are doing things underage that they shouldn't have to do. What's something that stood out for you that that you either will never forget or that changed your perspective of and made it even more real? Yeah. Like I said, I've worked for other organisations that do amazing work and really are changing the lives of children all around the world. But the thing that stood out for me with Destiny Rescue that was that they do the rescues themselves. Catelyn, for those that are listening right now, for the people that are wondering how can they make a difference, what impact can they make, what contribution will make an impact, what can you share with the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I shared the story before about Bo in Thailand when I was there and I, I actually went back to my hotel room after we met her knowing that she was still out there and it was heartbreaking to think that she doesn't get to use her bed to sleep but to work. And I think about how many kids are out there tonight. You know, that's not her story anymore. She's been rescued. But there are children out there right now who even as we're talking, you know, it's nighttime somewhere and there are children out there who need us to find them. And I just, you know, I I shared before, it actually, it only costs us $1,800 to rescue one child, which I know sounds like a lot, but that once off once a year, that makes a significant difference on one life. It does. That child gets to live a whole life. It's not just that you've rescued them today, but you you rescue them every day because they continue to live. So I know that you're going to post in your show notes in this podcast, a link to our website where people can make a donation. And I really want to encourage your listeners that that if this story is, has touched you today, please don't wait. Don't mm. wait. Don't leave it on the table of good intentions. You'll get to it tomorrow. Stop right now what you're doing. Click on the description. Click on the show notes. Open the website and make a commitment to rescue another child. You can do it. And, you know, you can make a small donation or a large donation. You know what is within your means. But this is a real life and I think about my bank statement, it's actually the littlest thing on, on my monthly bank statement, but it's the m- biggest thing. It's actually the biggest thing. It makes thing. the biggest impact. Exactly. And so, you know, whether it's a small amount, large amount, every little bit goes a long way and rescues a child. It goes to the rescuing of a child. So, yeah, I just really want to encourage you. It's, you know, it's not a contract. You can cancel any time. But if you have been touched today and if this is an issue that's close to your heart and you want to make an impact like, Phoebe, and you you can't make a, f- a financial contribution, perhaps think about your spheres of influence, your networks, people you know. Phoebe's changing the world just by doing this podcast, you know. <laughs> what can you do? Some of us can financially contribute and some of us can do even more. So I really encourage your listeners to to take that step. And it's really empowering, guys, for those that are listening to bring someone like Catelyn into the community where you can spread the word. And so you don't have to have a podcast in order to do that. You can like a monthly, a very small monthly donation can like add up. And it's so rewarding at the end of the year to get that statement, to know how through your own contribution, how many people have been literally rescued. Because you can, they can calculate that too. Uh, It it costs $1,800 to rescue someone, to change their life Mm. forever. That's right. Forever and ever and ever. And that person who is trapped in a world that is so dark where they are literally doing things that are so, so unfathomable. Yeah. yeah. And it's so scary to even think about it. Well, imagine what it would be like for that person. 
That's right. And, and it is so horrific to think about it from that perspective. But I just want to remind your listeners that last year we rescued 3,144 kids. We have a plan to rescue 100,000 by 2032, a plan, and we're going to do it. And we just need your help to do that. So let's rescue 100,000 kids. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it, guys. So if you're listening, if you're watching this, make sure to click on the link, make a contribution. You could, If you can, if you can afford something extra each month, make a monthly contribution. It goes such a long way. And like Catelyn said, it really impacts people forever and Mm. it will allow you as well to make it. It's tax deductible. So it's either going to go to tax anyway, right? So yeah, makes a really big impact. Thank you, Catelyn. Thank you. Thank you, Phoebe.